Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. We're working through a series called Teach Us to Pray, and I want to begin uh, here with this quote. Um, It's from a psychologist, a Canadian uh, named David Benner. He says, prayer is the soul's native language. And so if you're embarrassed like me that you only speak one language, here's a little comfort for you today. You can now say you speak two. Um, And I was thinking about this as a, a way of continuing our Teach Us to Pray series, the ways in which prayer is sort of already inside of us. And I feel like my job as a pastor lately has been trying to draw that out of people. Um, I remember praying as a 13-year-old boy, coming to faith in Jesus, wanting to understand, who are you, God? Um, why, why did you create? Why did you create me? What, what is this all about, and how do I make sense of it all? Um, I remember um, praying with my wife on, on our knees at the end of our bed um, every night at the beginning of the pandemic for weeks, just praying, God, end this pandemic. Like, Give us wisdom and understanding. Help us um, be good friends in this season. Um, I remember praying at the birth of my son. Um, he came out, and, and his heart rate is elevated, and I'm u- basically useless in that moment, and I'm just praying. I can't, I can't hold him. And then I remember a few minutes later getting to hold him in my arms um, as his heart rate is coming down and praying. And in some respects, as we talk about teach us to pray, one of the things I've wanted us to do well is just to acknowledge the struggle that we have in prayer and through that struggle to understand, okay, well, if, if we struggle with it, why and how can that actually allow us to push into prayer? And I love, as we read this passage, um, that, that first phrase, our Father, right? So when we pray, we're saying, I'm praying to someone who's not distant, right? You're close. I'm connected to you. And today what I want to do is lean into more of the, um, the God who hears our prayers and who can do something about it or what we'll call today is prayers of intercession. We're praying heaven come to earth. And so let me define this idea of intercessory prayer um, as we begin. Intercessory prayer is praying to God on behalf of another. So it it includes our concerns for other people, our friends, our family. It can include our concerns for our community, um, the nations, um, our very earth. Uh, One scholar I was reading this week said that intercessory prayer is actually a a social way of praying. It's a way of standing between God and someone else on behalf of them. Uh, The mental image I got this week, you know the the 456 platform right here at Union Square is actually curved, um, and, you know, the doors take forever um, to open because the um, platform has a gap, and it has those little extenders that come out, right? And the mental image I was getting for intercessory prayer this week was um, mind the gap, right? You're on the station, but the train is there and there is a gap in between. And so intercessory prayer is sort of like, um, I'm trying at least with this parallel, um, is, is the extenders that go out, right? It's something that stands in the gap, a way of communicating or bridging um, God and another person and our ability to stand in there. And so this week, I'm, I'm reading on intercessory prayer. I've got all these books on my desk at our office, and I'm thinking, we're praying heaven come to earth. And so maybe where we actually need to begin in intercessory prayer is earth. 
right? Like, th- this is the, the day in, day out. What, what, are, what is the thing that we want to see happen on earth? What does it mean for heaven to come to earth? What, like, how do I pray this prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in an authentic way. And I thought, I can read a lot of great books. That's fine. But maybe I should just go walk and see earth and see what needs to be prayed for. And so I put my books away, and I just thought, I have a meeting on 22nd, like almost over by the water, and I thought, I'll just walk there and just see what I see and just notice what earth is like. And so I walk right out of our building um, on Irving, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, it's so noisy, right? Like, I didn't have my, my, my headphones in. I'm like, I'm just going to take in what's out here. And so I, see all this no- I hear all this noise, construction, right? Um, I see lots of people, like if you ever noticed, everyone's on their phone, um, but maybe you don't notice that because you're on your phone, uh, but like in that moment, I was like, wow, so many people on their phone. I walked by a bus stop, and there were two teenagers fighting, and cops were intervening. I was like, all right, like another, just another day. We all know this. We see this every day. Um, I saw um, the Actors Union, um, SAG-AFTRA, protesting, and um, it was endless what I saw. Um, I saw um, two guys um, at a bus stop, like clearly on drugs, and people were coming by, like looking at them. Somebody came by and checked on them, which is heartbreaking. And when I got back, I thought, how do I describe our city, like Earth, like like the the passage is talking about? And what I came to is that, and in particular, when I think about New York, it's two things: it's beautiful, and it's broken. And we actually need to hold both of them, right? Some of us, you know, we we only want to choose to see the beauty of the city and then, you know, talk down to the brokenness of the city. But like our city really is beautiful. The creativity and the people trying to make it in the ingenuity. I saw countless people starting restaurants. I'm like, are you crazy? You're going to start a restaurant? And then I was like, we're starting a church. So maybe, (laughs) maybe a restaurant is like easier, right? But then I thought, man, our city is, is beautiful because people are brilliant. People are trying things, and they're striving for new ideas, and they're, they're striving to make money. And, and, it's, and, and in one sense, I'm like, wow, it's so beautiful. But then we have to interact with the other side, which is the brokenness, right? The drug usage, the unhoused and the hungry. Um, I don't know if you've noticed it lately, but the immigrants in our community that are in need. And so beauty and brokenness, and this isn't new to you. We see this every day, but what I, what I came back from that walk thinking is, what if actually these are our prompts to pray? Like, what if these are actually the things that, that actually stir us to communicate with God, that we would actually go to God on behalf of other people? And what are we doing when we do that? We're saying, God, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? And so this is what I want to kind of show us today. What does it mean to actually pray that prayer? I want to give us some visuals so that we, we know what we're doing when we're praying that. And then what I want to do really for us today is give us some practicals, but then I just want to create space for us to do that um, this morning. And prayer, maybe that seems a little bit weird to you at the, at the end, but it, it's, it's actually not because it's, I, I think that it's the, your, your first and primary language. And so I hope to kind of set that up today. So let's, let's begin here with verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we talked about this about a month ago. Um, our, when, we're, when we come to God and say our Father, we're saying um, something about the character and the nature of God. We're saying, this is who you are. I'm ascribing worth and value to you as a holy God. Then Jesus prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what are we praying with this idea of kingdom? 
In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus steps onto the scene, and he says why he came in time and history. It'll be on the screen here. Mark chapter 1, um, verse 15. And you see a little bit of a parallel from here from Matthew chapter 6. He says, the time has come. Now, there's primarily two words for time in the Greek. There's chronos and kairos. Chronos is literal minute, second time. It's 1130. That's chronos. That's not the word used here. The time has come. The word is kairos. Kairos is an aha moment. It's a moment in time. It's, um, it's, it's when my son was born, like I was just describing. It's the moment when uh, you graduated from college. It's this aha moment. It's the moment when you had a parent or a mentor speak a, a, a word of affirmation into your identity, and you said, I know who I am. That's kairos time. And Jesus is saying, the time has come, meaning this kairos moment is happening because I'm here, because, because Jesus is actually in time and history. Then it says, the kingdom of God has come near. He's saying, I'm the one bringing that. And then he says, respond to it. Repent and believe the good news. Now, the word repentance, horrible rap in our uh, time and place because a lot of people, but the word repentance is actually one of the most important words in the Bible. In the Greek, it's the word metanoia. It, it actually means um, to turn around. It means I'm, I'm heading in this direction, and I need to be heading in that direction. And if I keep heading in that direction, I'm going to run my life off the rails. And so Jesus says, turn around. Stop going that way and go the other way. And then he says, what, what do you want to do? I want you to believe. I want you to rest your life on me. I want you to put your, your trust and your ultimate faith in me. And how is that all happening? It's because when Jesus shows up, the kingdom of God shows up. He's saying, where I am, the kingdom is. Why is this important? Well, what is the prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And we primarily think about earth and heaven as separate entities. And so I'll give you a little bit of a visual here. We think that heaven is like God's dwelling and earth is our dwelling. Um, heaven is for the soul, right? It's, it's for the spiritual. It's for the sacred things, you know, that maybe sometimes we tap into, right? Earth is like the bodily things. It's tangible. It's secular, right? Um, heaven is the place that we ultimately go to when we die, and earth is this sort of thing that we should probably enjoy a little bit while we're here, but it's not a long-term thing, Right? And so heaven is full of God's presence and justice and goodness and beauty, and earth is full of sin and injustice and ugliness. And then Jesus shows up, and he says, the kingdom of God is actually now, like, here. Like, where I am, the kingdom of God is. And if you've been around here, we've, we've talked about this dozens and dozens of times, because this is the, one of the most important things to realize about Jesus. When Jesus came in his life and ministry through healing of the sick and the oppressed, through preaching, through sharing meals with people that were on the fringes of society, and through walking with his disciples, and then through his death, burial, and resurrection, he's saying, when I show up and where I show up, the kingdom of God is. And it's not just when he's here. So this is what happens when Jesus shows up, this sort of um, what we could call a sacred overlap. And Jesus' invitation for us in this prayer is to keep these things overlapping, right? When I go on this walk, I see earth, right? I see all that earth is, and I see the, the brokenness. But then you also begin to see, like, little moments breaking through that seem to be right, right? Like, like if we really understand our city, we 
we would say beautiful and broken, and maybe that's a good way to understand the, the heaven and earth overlap. There are things that are happening in our world, in our city, that are actually um, what we might call components of the kingdom of God, a way of understanding that heaven is invading earth, right? It's breaking through. When Jesus showed up, the sick were being healed, and the poor and marginalized were finding hope, and Jesus is actually preaching, hey, you know what, there's actually life in me, and heaven is breaking through. And this is what we're doing when we pray prayers of intercession. We're saying, I want heaven on earth. And so when we pray for, for healing for our friend, that, that their body would be healed, we're saying, I want the promise of the future in the here and in the now. When we pray that our jobs, that when we go to them, they would be filled with meaning and purpose and that we would actually um, give into the flourishing of the world, we're praying, God, the, the, the wholeness of heaven, I want that in the here and now. God, our hearts are broken. I want the hope of heaven that when you say in Revelation, there'll be no more weeping or crying or pain. We don't, just, we don't want the promise just later, but we actually want the promise now too. And it, Maybe, maybe one of the things that would be important for us to acknowledge inside of that is, um, I don't want to read this naively. Um, there's something wrong with our world. And so when we pray, um, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we have to acknowledge there's, there's actually something wrong here, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't need to pray this prayer. But actually, something is broken. And so what the scripture does, and Paul really helps us understand um, this dichotomy. Jesus is saying, I'm bringing um, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Um, and what Paul says in Colossians is that there's actually a competition here. Um, in Colossians chapter one, Paul says, for he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Dominion is like um, uh, something that does power, right? Authority, weight. It means there's something that holds influence on us and our society and in our city. And what has Jesus done? He's brought us out of the dominion of darkness. And he, I, love, I love the way that he said this. Into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And so we're praying from a specific, let's call it a social location. And the social location that we're praying from Paul is saying is a dominion of darkness. And so there's a competition, right? We, we long for, and this is, hear me well, this is regardless of what you believe. If you came here today and you'd say, I, I don't even know, like I haven't been to church in a long time, not even thinking about that. It doesn't matter what you believe. You long for a, a kingdom. And I, I, I think that you, and I don't want to impose this on you too much, but I think you long for the kingdom of God, like the, the aspects of the kingdom of God. What do I mean by that? I think we each have a deep longing for a certain type of city and a certain type of hope, right? So we long for peace, right? No wars, no violence, and that's a part of the kingdom of God. Or I'm gonna use, I'm gonna use Paul here. That's a part of the kingdom of the sun, right? What about equity, right? We, we believe that, that fairness should be, should be equal for all, right? Where greed and classism aren't persistent, and that's a part of the kingdom of the sun, what about right relationship? Like we wanna be in right relationship with our neighbors. We don't wanna disagree with other people. We don't wanna have strife, right? Particularly with our direct neighbors because things can get really ugly, right? We don't want that. That's not a part of the kingdom of the sun, right? I mean, that, that's, that's what we're longing for in the kingdom of the sun. What about purpose at work, right? Today's Sunday, right? You're like, tomorrow it all begins, right? I gotta, I gotta head back into all of that mess. Maybe you're thinking about it on the way here, right? But what if, what if there's a dominion of darkness like hanging over that, but there's actually a means of hope that's available, 
And the, the hope that's available is actually access through praying this prayer of intercession. And so when we pray, like I'm going to talk about for the rest of our time here, what we're actually praying is, God, I want the kingdom of your son. I want peace and equity and right relationships and deep and meaningful purpose in my work. I want your will, right? I, I, that's, that's the thing that I want. And if I'm honest, um, sometimes I think we're just not inter- intervening, you know, on behalf of the world um, because we think that, that we can sort of accomplish it through what we're already doing. But the reality is, is if we actually believe in, in what we're talking about here, that the kingdom of God could break through in the here and the now, it would, it would lift us from our prayerlessness, right? Left to our own devices, I, may, I just speak for myself, left to my own devices, I don't pray. And I'm content to make a little money and build a, like, a little kingdom and stay home and watch the bear. Like, I'm good, right? Like, that's, I'm content to do all that. Um, but when I read these passages, it's, just, it's a challenge to say, you know what, I really do want your kingdom to come in our midst. And I guess what I'm talking about today is praying really big prayers, right? Maybe it's for ourselves, maybe it's for a friend, but maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it's for the people around us. So what does Jesus want us to do? And I want us to read this passage really critically here. Um, and just to, so we get a real sense of what Jesus is saying. It's, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who love him, or who ask him? So, we don't do this often, but I'd love to just react to the first part. Um, I'd just love to hear from a few people. It could be anything, positive, negative. What is your first thought? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Can, huh? Yeah. Sometimes you ask and you don't get. Okay, what else? Not everyone at once, please. Okay. You need to take action. You mean in the, in the asking and the seeking, yeah? So there's, like a, there's a part that's like put on us first. That's good. What if we ask and it's not what God wants? That's good. Let's do one more. Requires faith to, to pray this. Yeah, sometimes I read this and I get frustrated, but I read it this week and I just, I felt so comforted. Like, there's no caveats in the passage. It just says, ask, seek, and knock, and what do requests anticipate? Responses, right? Like, there, there's no caveat. It, the passage is like, listen, God is not deaf, right? That's like what he's, what he's telling us. What God is telling us is to ask for what we need because he's invested and cares about us and cares about the world in which we live. And it's actually in God's very nature. The most, the, the most famous passage in the Bible is one where what God does? Giving. For God so loved the world, he gave, right? Um, and ideas like this are repeated in the Bible. I just want to show you these really quick, just kind of sidebar. Um, John chapter four, 14, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. 
so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And then he says it one chapter later. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And maybe you're wrestling with this. I, I'm, I'm very realistic to that. Like maybe you're wrestling with that. But I have to wonder if, if we didn't, be, like if, if you chose not to believe what Jesus is saying here, if that's the thing that has actually led you to a prayerless life, right? Like because you didn't believe that you could just ask and seek and knock, that you said, well, it doesn't matter. I, I shouldn't pray, Right? But let me give a little bit of clarity to this, and I love your guys' responses because I think that even this next passage can actually answer some of this. James says this, you do not have because you do not ask God. Mike, that was it? (laughs) So there's some wisdom for you today, I guess. But here's the other pitfall. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Guilty right? Guilty on both, on both ends. So what is, what is James saying here, right? There's sort of two pitfalls in our prayer life here. Why do you not have the first side? This is, um, this is a graphic from a guy named Paul Miller. Um, and Paul, um, Paul Miller wrote a book called A Praying Life. I tried drawing this myself. Um, it, went, it went real bad. So I know it's a little small, but I went with the slide instead of trying to draw it. But there's sort of two pitfalls, and it, this is just the scripture in a, in a visual form. You do not have because you do not ask, right? And so this is the, the pitfall on this side, which is, which is not asking. And maybe it's that, maybe on this side of things, I'm sorry, I know it's a little bit hard to see for you guys over here. Um, sometimes we err on the side of not asking at all. And maybe that's because we believe God won't do anything, but oftentimes, I think that we think that certain things are just too trivial for God, right? Like, why, why, would, I, why would I pray to God about going to the dentist, right? Or, or like, I have that annoying pain, you know, in my wrist or in my leg. Like, why? I'm not, that's too trivial. Like, God is, God's got bigger things to do, right? Or like, why should I pray my jealousy? Why, why would I pray my fears? I'm, that's, that's, that just seems kind of weird to do. Like, that stuff's all going to get worked out. The reason we do that is because, and we're actually giving into a form of despair. And we're actually saying, I'm not worthy enough, or it just doesn't, this thing doesn't matter. And what we're actually doing by not asking is we're separated from God. This is what this chart says, right? And so God does nothing because there's a gap or a a, a distance between us and God. And really what what this is, is um, it's a form of what, what might be called like functional deism. Right? God is already going to do what God is going to do, and so there's no reason for me to ask. And here's a danger in, in not asking. When we don't ask, but things in our life also don't change, that's when we're handed over to despair. That, those are the moments where we say, you know, God doesn't really care about me. Like, it's, I, I, nothing is working. I, I just give up. And I love the antidote that he, he puts down here. It's ask boldly. The simple things, the dentist, I went to the dentist this week and I was praying because it gives me mad anxiety. My chart says dental anxiety, not joking. And so ask boldly. Last week we looked at the, um, the verses that are on the bottom, which is Jesus' prayer in the garden. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, right? Like, I don't want to go to the cross. Like, you ever think about that? Like, Jesus is saying, like, I don't, I don't want to do the thing you sent me to do, right? Here's the other pitfall. Asking selfishly, Right? 
demanding of God. And basically what we're doing is saying, God, I expect my will to be done, right? You're approaching God and saying, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna impose my will on you. And what Jesus does is Jesus avoids this pitfall in that verse. Abba, Father, everything is possible from you. Take this cup from me. How does he end it? Yet not what I will, but what you will be done. He's not, he's not trying to control God with his prayers. He's not trying to control God with his obedience, right? He's just trying to say, I'm handing myself over to your will. Here's the problem, and I've, I've seen this in myself so much, is oftentimes, Katie, thanks for talking about just having faith to pray that prayer because um, most of the time, and maybe not even, maybe not lately, but I think if I, if I pray, it doesn't make a difference, right? It's not going to move God to act. And so I become so fatalistic in prayer. And so my, my prayers are almost said, but they're not said in a faith or in a trust where, I, where I'm kind of giving over like, whatever happens is, is going to happen. And I guess my only point here this morning is like, but what if it does? Like, what, what if our prayers really do change, not only us, but like God? Like, could, could our prayers change God? I, I, I admit this sounds a little crazy in some ways. Here's what Dallas Willard says. He says, God's response to our prayer is not a charade. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayers when he's only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. Of course, this is not the biblical idea of prayer, nor is the idea of, peop nor is the idea of people for whom prayer is a vital part of life. What if you don't have because you haven't asked? And what if you don't have because you asked selfishly? And what if when you pray, God really does move and desire to respond? So I, did a, I went down this rabbit trail of like what prayer does this week. And I, it's crazy how much like evidence there is throughout scripture of like, can you change God's mind? And there's evidence for that in scripture. And I was wrestling with it. Like uh, I was trying to figure out like, is that okay to pray that way, that, that like God would, would, would change? Um, I was reading about Moses in Exodus chapter 32, if you want to go read more. There's evidence in scripture that in our struggle for, in prayer, that we're changed, right? That, that actually what happens is, is as we place our desires and our hopes and our fears and our longings before God, those things are actually comforted and, and, and healed up. This is what happened in the book of Job. Um, in prayer, there's evidence in scripture that simply what you're doing is you're handing your authentic self and your will over to God, and God responds to that. And so there's sort of all these nuances about prayer, and then I thought, what, I was going to chase all that down and pick all that apart this week, and then I thought, I don't think that's it. I think what, what we need to do as a community is to do the praying, is to do the praying to say, you know what, I don't know if God is going to answer this prayer or not, but I'm going to pray like he's going to. And I'm going to try and have trust and faith, and I'm going to seek God in that way and say, God, do you really care? I believe that you care, and work from there. Walter Wink, this is this like, incredible um, quote. He says, intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. 
intercession visualizes an alternative future to the one apparently faded by the momentum of current forces. Prayer infuses the air of a time yet to be into the suffocating atmosphere of the present, right? Heaven come to earth. And listen to this. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. History belongs to intercessors who believe the future into being. Even a small number of people firmly committed to the new inevitability on which they have fixed their imaginations can decisively affect the shape the future takes. Are you kidding me? Come on. We got to pray. We have to pray, right? So I'll end here. Um, I went to um, my uh, notes on my phone, um, and uh, I searched prayer and just thought, when, like, when have we like, talked about prayer, um, and like, what notes have I taken? And I found a note from July 26th, 2022, so just about one year ago this week, and it was, uh, the note was titled, Community Group, July 26th, 2022. And so it was a community group we had last year. Um, it was a scripture, and then a conversation we had around hospitality, and then a spot at the bottom I had left for prayer requests. And I had five names there. I won't name them. Um, I have five names and five prayer requests. And I thought, I'm going to find out if God answered these prayers. I'm like, this is perfect. And so I texted um, my friend, and I said, did you get the job? Got the job. And we prayed for another individual for seeking a job and uh, also um, like a housing contract that was up. And God answered both of those prayers. The, the lease was renewed, and uh, she had a job. Um, We prayed for someone for a torn labrum um, in our group, and they responded and said, "Um, I'm able to, like, work and dance, and it has healed some, but there are some long-term concerns that are being considered. So a little bit of mixed results there, just just being honest here. Um, We prayed for someone's back um, that would be healed, and and again, kind of mixed results there. It was like, yeah, you know, like, my back is, is healed, and I'm working through some other health issues now. And I thought, this, I'm good with all of that. Like, I, I love that we actually spent time sharing what was going on in our lives so that we could be there for one another, share those things, and pray. And, and, and what if what we're doing in prayer is that we're actually converting our anxieties and our fears and our sorrows, and we're turning them into dialogue with God? What if what we're doing in intercessory prayer is actually we're replacing our tendency to control with trust? That's what we're doing in intercessory prayer. What if we're learning to find God in every answer, yes, no, or not right now, right? And we're gonna talk about um, unanswered prayers in a couple weeks. What if what we're doing in intercessory prayer is we're developing a ritual where we're saying, you know what, actually, when, when something happens to me in my life, I actually wanna pray first. Like, that would be my go-to. I wanna be in relationship with God. And then what if in intercessory prayer, what we're doing is um, we're those little platform extenders, We're supporting our friends and our family and standing in the gap. 